This is Tugboat Brother, and you're listening to another wrestling podcast. It's time for uh, another wrestling podcast. Wrestling Podcast. This is episode 43. I'm Steve Credo. And I'm Jonathan Benjamin. And we are your hosts for another wrestling podcast. Uh, Joining us, though, in a little bit is an actor and former head of WWE security, Jimmy Noonan. That's right. Uh, For those of you who don't know Jimmy, he uh, we're first name basis now. Um, He has appeared in Super Troopers, Gotham, L.A. Law, Sex in the City, and countless other shows and movies. He's been on uh, Broadway as well. But like you said, Steve, uh, more importantly, he was busting heads for WWE as their head of security just a few years ago. That's right. And uh, for those of you who are joining us today, we would love it if you take the time out right now. Right now, go ahead. Hit pause. Well, don't hit pause until after I say this. Uh, to rate us, review us, and subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, if you don't even have either of those, we're on Podbean. That's where our podcast is being put out to the world. So if you got to have one, of the, one or the other, you either have iTunes, you either have Stitcher, uh, you have something. So if you have it, just make sure you hit the subscribe button. Make sure you hit that little heart icon or the like icon. Uh, review us. Leave a good review. Leave any bad reviews for any other show but this one. Right, Jonathan? Absolutely. And if you want to find our links then we suggest you just go on over to anotherwrestlingpodcast.com and follow these simple steps. Like, follow, subscribe. I, I, I like what you're saying, Jonathan. Uh, you well, know, follow and subscribe, then. I, 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 there you go. I couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, but, Jonathan, uh, since nothing is really off-limits for us to talk about, I think today... We should talk about backstage politics in, in in the wrestling business. All right, I've been waiting for this show. So you mean like uh, President Jack Tunney? Why are you like this? Uh, I got it now. I got it. Uh, so you mean like you know when a wrestler maybe lost some of his push because he was kind of um, being politic backstage? I I, I see. You, I kind of get this. So uh, let's let's say. If I throw out the the name Shane Douglas to you, what what do you get when I say Shane Douglas? Uh, Shane Douglas, I would say the birth of ECW, uh, okay. the the new ECW. 
Uh, you know, like we're talking about backstage politics. Granted, Jonathan, me and you aren't backstage. We aren't in the companies. Uh, but, you know, we're going to talk about what we know uh, from from what we learned through the years as being, as being fans of the business. You know what I mean? So Shane Douglas, Jonathan, the birth of ECW. Would, would you consider Shane Douglas to be the first superstar of uh, ECW maybe? Absolutely. I mean, the, the point when he threw down the – it was at the time the uh, NWA title, which was held by a really, you know, obvious great Nick uh, Bockwinkle – Ric Flair, um, Harley Race, and then, you know, he threw down the title and basically told everybody that they could kiss his ass. He kind of propelled himself into superstardom at that point. Um, but in WWE, I don't know if you remember his run he had in WWE or not, but yeah, he it, was... Yeah, it was short. <laughs> Very yeah. short. Uh, he was Dean Douglas, and uh, he was supposed to be a college dean. Uh, and I never got it. I really didn't. And to be honest, I didn't really know about Shane until because I was really a WWE guy uh, through and through. So when I saw this goofy Dean Douglas, I was like, "What? What is going on?" But then, you know, finding out more and more about Shane Douglas, you realize that he was a great talker. And I always wondered why he didn't get that opportunity in WWE because. If you're wondering, yeah. Jonathan, I got two words for you. Okay. Sean Michaels. Oh, okay. <laughs> so Michaels and the Click were apparently not fans of Douglas at all. Uh, they spent a lot of time badmouthing him, from what I've read, to Vince McMahon. Uh, Michaels even refused to drop the Intercontinental Championship to Douglas. Could you believe that? That's, uh, I mean, I've heard a lot about Shawn Michaels back in the day, so this isn't too surprising to me. It's just kind of sad, I guess, that Shane was never really given the opportunity to shine in like a major company, I guess. So, Jonathan, all in all, I think it's come down to the point that Vince had so much trust in the click, and Shawn Michaels at least, that, uh, you know, he changed his mind on Douglas, uh, that, you know, Douglas was let go, and he never really was given. A full full time to actually show what he could do in a major company. So, I mean, I guess uh, as politics go at backstage, I guess when you hate somebody, you could really just push him out of the entire company. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, it's like you said. You know, it's a shame. I, this isn't the only person that this has happened to. And if you look back at some of these people that probably could have had an awesome career in WWE, um, it, it's just sad because you would think that they would go on talent alone and not maybe what someone's whispering in their ear. But Jonathan, let's talk about another name right now, uh, Kevin Nash. Now, does Kevin Nash and backstage politics go go foot in foot with you or what? Yeah, Steve, if there's someone that truly epitomizes that word, backstage politics, it was definitely Kevin Nash. I've heard so much about him. And, you know, whenever he came over to WCW after leaving WWF, there was a lot of talk about how from right there they started kind of planting the seeds so they would be on top. They even had a contract where, like, they were getting paid X amount of dollars. If they bring in somebody who is making more than them, so let's say that they brought over Bret Hart and Bret was guaranteed $5 million a year, but they were only guaranteed Three million a year, they automatically got five million dollars a year. So I think that right there tells you the kind of politicking that Kevin Nash has done. And he even had such a big influence then backstage that Nash was the man who ended Goldberg's winning streak. Now, Jonathan, 
A lot of people talk about streaks in the business now, but if you could go back in time and think of any which way to end Goldberg's streak, would you have done it the Kevin Nash way? Uh, oh, with a you mean like a taser? Absolutely. <laughs> I think that was uh, a no. I think that there's a, it could have ended well, and I think that it could have been done a certain way. But once again, it got people talking. So I don't know. I don't know what the end goal would have been. Maybe if we would have waited longer, it would have been even more ridiculous. So. Um, I'm not going to try to switch history here, but I, it is widely known that Kevin Nash is a uh, or was a politicking sob. There you go. But I, I, I guess the moral of the story is, I mean, I guess the bigger superstar you are, the more clout you have, the more power you have uh, to 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 get your way backstage. Um, but Jonathan, another guy I want to bring up is one of uh, he was I don't know he was on my favorites list back then, and ever since this moment. Uh, of the backstage politics, he just has never really been quite the same. Um, but I'm still a fan of his, and that guy is uh, a Mr. Kennedy. Kennedy. Uh, Ken Anderson. Uh, Jonathan, do you know what happened with him in the WWE before he left for TNA? I do, and, you know, I don't know that we're always going to agree on things, but this one is one of them that we will agree on. I loved... Ken Anderson, uh, I thought he was an amazing talent, so much so that I went to WrestleMania 23 live in Detroit just to see him win Money in the Bank, which he did, and then I proceeded to listen to his theme music on loop for about three hours or more. Um, I'm not necessarily proud of that, but I think that Ken Anderson could have been one of the best that WWE had seen in a long time, but... What you're mentioning is that Ken and Randy Orton were wrestling, and whenever they were wrestling, Ken kind of awkwardly dropped Orton on his back. And if you look it up, look it up on YouTube. It's something that you should watch. Uh, Orton gets up and just goes berserk on Anderson and just calling him everything but Chinese, I think. And um, at that point, Randy Orton goes backstage and complains to him, to Vince or whoever was listening. And shortly thereafter, you saw Kennedy lose his Money in the Bank briefcase, and he had a hard road after that until he was finally released. Yeah, I mean, granted, like we said, we're not wrestlers. We don't know what happens. But I'll tell you what, Jonathan, uh, if you hate somebody, you're going to find any mistake they do to just use that as fuel to, I, I guess, get your way backstage. You know, politicking to get the guy fired. Uh, granted, it's pro wrestling. Things happen. Mistakes happen. Uh, maybe it was the 20th time it happened. Maybe it was the first time it happened. We don't really know. Who knows what had happened on the road with him. Uh, but clearly, you know, after we seen the spot with him on Raw, uh, you know, it, it was the fuel Randy Orton needed to get him fired. Uh, but, I mean, hey, well, like you said, we're not there. We don't know. But, I mean, I guess using his stance in the company at that time, you know, Orton was is still pretty much high up there. And, uh, you know, I guess if you don't like somebody, you're going to use something against them that, you know, they probably botched and say, hey, this guy's, uh, you know, out hurting people. We don't need him. You know, move him down. And if, you know, you do, he doesn't get his way, then I guess, you know, Randy Orton isn't just going to give it his all anymore. So who do you want better uh, in your stable of wrestlers, Randy Orton or uh, a young Mr. Kennedy at the time to where, you know, he didn't have that kind of same stance that Orton did at that time. But, I mean, that's, once again, another example of politicking uh, to where, you know, I guess maybe you just don't like the person and, you know, hey, you're going to use something against them, right? 
Yeah, I just, you know, it's a shame, like we said, that some of these people could probably have went on and done great things for WWE or any other country or whatever. But um, I think that, you know, with Anderson, he's now in TNA. He seems to be doing well. He's not, you know, the their main event or anything, but he's he's been a champion there. So I, I am uh, proud for him. I'm I hope that he has continued success in in the business. Speaking of backstage politics, this guy probably knows more about the WWE, their secrets, than anybody. And uh, right now, we are going to talk with Mr. Jimmy Noonan. He's an actor, a writer, a producer, and, oh yeah, he used to be WWE's director of security. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome... Jimmy Noonan. Or Jenny. Jim, or Jenny. Jenny Noonan works. That, that's, uh, yeah, that's what we call a little bit of a, a tongue twister in the business. So, uh, yeah. Jimmy, Jimmy, how are you doing? Thanks for uh, taking the time for being with well, us. Well, I'm a little, uh, you guys got heat with me right off the bat because uh, you're into my Shark Tank time. Uh, Shark Tank <laughs> is on right now. We're at the 830 mark. Damon's about to make an offer on a cup, uh, and, and a Cuban's going to come over the top of them. Um, I think uh, Lori's actually going to do the job and put them both over, but uh, but I'm not sure right now. So uh, if you know if we could move this along, I'd appreciate it. Cause Shark Tank time. You got it. Um, now now speaking of TV, obviously, um, imagine my surprise a few weeks back. Turned on the television. And I see you on Fox's hit show, Gotham. Now, how did this happen, and what was the experience like on this show? Uh, the experience was wonderful. The problem was that I, a lot of my stuff ended up on the editing floor. Uh, there was uh, two previous scenes before the one where I escort uh, Jada Pinkett Smith out. Um, it was nice because people who, you know, who know me and wrestling fans got to see me and a lot of people commented on, uh, even a couple of wrestlers, uh, John Hugger, uh, Stamboli, you know, mm -hmm. made a comment and a couple other guys made comments. Hey, it was good to see you on TV. But for the most part, uh, all my stuff ended up on the, uh, on the editing room floor. And Hey, listen, that's, uh, that's part of the business. I was also on a show called the Legions the week before that I was pretty hot in, uh, last uh, December in the biz. So I did two shows back to back and guess what? Allegiance just got canceled. So, uh, my comeback into the TV business after doing, uh, uh LA law years ago, and then uh, New York undercover and sex in the city and the Cosby industries hasn't been that wonderful, but you know, we're We're going to keep on chugging. Life is good. All right, Jimmy. Now, is there anything you're currently working on maybe, uh, or, you know, something else that we could probably see you on down the line? Well, there's two things, two things that are very close to me. First of all, I'm somewhat of an advisor right now. I'm in an advisor capacity to two gentlemen from Tennessee who, who wrote a wonderful and actually made the movies made. It's in the can. It's ready to go, ready to go. It's called the masked saint. And it is a wrestling movie, believe it or not. And if the, if I was to put it in one line, I would say uh, he's a preacher by day and a professional wrestler by night. And that's the movie. That's the theme of the movie. It is a faith-based movie. 
Uh, and uh, and they are very excited about it. They put a lot of movie. I will tell you one thing about the movie. I am one of the few people on the planet Earth who've seen the screener. I've watched the whole movie. The wrestling is across the board the best wrestling I've ever seen in a movie. Across the board, the good versus evil, the two main characters, and then a bunch of a bunch of guys in between. But the two main characters, the the priest, and then the bad guy. Uh, the heel, uh, the best wrestling I have ever seen in a movie. The other thing, that's called The Masked Saint, and that will be out sometime this year. The other thing, and more importantly, is the Martha's Vineyard Affair. 25 years ago, I went to Martha's Vineyard with my sister Peggy, and we uh, Peggy was very hot at the time. She was coming off two best-selling books. She was coming off time with Reagan in the Reagan White House. And we went up there for vacation, and I met a, uh, I met a guy who had a book. He was kind of showing off the book for my sister Peggy one day, and he brought it by, and I instantly knew in 1990 that this was going to be a big part of my life. The problem was that I wrote the screenplay before I owned the rights. No knucklehead does that. First people buy the rights, and then they write the screenplay. Well, I wrote the screenplay 25 years ago, and then we never worked it out. Anyway, it's years later. I approached the gentleman again. I got the rights to the to the book to pre, the producer and the screenwriter on the Martha's Vineyard affair, and now I'm in this quandary: what to do with the main male role? I originally wrote it for Jimmy Noonan. That's why I that's why I got involved. The guy was in his forties. He was big. He was heavily muscular. He was a he's a real actor, and now I'm too old to play the role. So what do I do? Who do I offer it to? Well. I kind of quasi offered it to a world uh, former WWE world champion who shall not be named right now, and he basically passed on it. There were too many questions, and right now he's too busy. So I've been thinking, you know, I, I'm a, you know, listen, I I was in the business for a while. I I I have a few ideas. I'm not a big John Cena fan, but Cena would actually be perfect for the role. But you know who would be actually be better for the role? I see Triple H as the lead in my movie. Now, this is normally a role that would go to like a Kevin Costner type or a younger Kevin Costner or Channing Tatum. But I see actually see a guy like Triple H in my movie. And uh, if Triple H ever wants to talk about doing the lead in my movie and giving me three or four million dollars to get it done, I think we would have a major hit on my hand. And I think I would get WWE film as their first Academy Award nomination. That's go. my story. And I'm sticking to it. <laughs> Hey, that sounds great to to us. Now, um, you you had a Kickstarter project for this movie, and it is starting to pick up a lot of buzz. So, where where do you go from here? Now that you've got some ideas of maybe who you'd like to to cast, uh, what 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 are we? Where are we at at this um, juncture? Well, what? we're nowhere right now. I'm going to be honest with you. I had the Kickstarter up and. You know, you talk to all your friends and you talk to all your people. Oh, yeah, you'll get it, you'll get it, you'll get it. And then all of a sudden, you know, nobody's got any money. And all of a sudden, nobody's interested. And all of a sudden, you you know, I'll see you next week. So I dropped the Kickstarter project. I got $350 in a week. That means in 10 years I could make my movie. Dudes, I'm not going to beg anybody for money. You know, you want to be involved in something wonderful. Why wouldn't you trust my track record? Why wouldn't you trust the fact that I've been, I'm probably the only guy in the history of WWE ever to have been on Broadway. I'm fucking Broadway, okay? <laughs> yep. Movies, TV, 
Uh, I've been all over the world a hundred times. I, you know, I've done some incredible stuff. Why wouldn't you put your money behind me? But I'm not going to beg you. The movie's going to get made anyway, so I'm not worried. But I would, you know, if there is some kind of synergy, like maybe, maybe just maybe I could look at, at, at it this way. Maybe I was at WWE almost eight years to, to, for, for somebody to have to see this and say, man, that looks like a terrific project. I'd really like to read for that character. Maybe that's really the reason instead, in, instead of all the other crappy reasons I was there. You know? So anyway, the, the, the real answer is the project is nowhere right now. Um, Jared Bunch, the former uh, New York Giant fullback, uh, who had a great year with the Giants in the 90s. Uh, he read it recently. He's a kind of a, a guy who knows a lot of people in California. He really liked it. He really enjoyed the female character, the female lead. I want to get Demi Moore for her comeback for a female lead, but, you know, this is very difficult. I'm not a Hollywood guy. I took myself out of the Hollywood realm to go to WWE, and I screwed myself terribly. And now I'm not in that milieu, even all these years later, because I thought I was going to be in the security business, you know, and I, I kind of, well, I don't need Hollywood anymore. Now here I am back in Hollywood, you know? So I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is sometimes, but it, it sure is an interesting journey. I'll be honest with you about that. All right. Um, well, speak a little bit more about Hollywood. I'm sure you get this asked uh, a lot, but maybe, um, you know, the cult classic, you, which you starred in, Super Troopers, a lot, which is actually filmed in our home area over here. Uh, there's been talk about a second movie. Any chance we're going to see uh, you reprise the role? As- I can neither confirm <laughs> nor deny. Oh, that is, uh, I like to hear that. There you go. I can neither confirm <laughs> nor deny. <laughs> well,. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, either way, I can't Nine disclosures <laughs> and confidentiality, baby. Isn't it a beautiful thing? It is. It is. Um, that that's highly. I'm just going to say that I, that's exciting for me, whether um, it's what I want it to be or not. But um, when when you go about doing these things, whenever you see something like Gotham pop up, or you know the movie you uh, talked about, The Mass Saint, or even the Martha's Vineyard affair. How do you go about picking a role? Because as you said, you were an accomplished actor. You are an accomplished actor. You were on Broadway. You get to be a little more choosy now, don't you? You would think. You would think at 57 years old, being a guy who's been in the business for 30 years, I would. But again, so I'm going to flat out do something tonight and say something I've never said before. In 1999-2000, I sat down with Peggy, my sister, and she said, what are you going to do? So what's this thing I hear about these guys wrestling? I said, well, I'm going out on the road with WWE. I've been offered a great job. She said, why would you do that? You just came off a Broadway show. You're about to do another. You did three TV, Super Troopers, uh, 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 a movie with uh, Jill Clayberg. had a beautiful scene with Jill Clayberg. You've you got all this stuff going on. Why would you take yourself out of that when you're about to hit. And I made the worst decision I've liked in my life. I made what I am clarifying right now as the biggest mistake of my life by choosing to go out on the road with WWE. The biggest mistake of my life. I can say this with full clarity seven years later, you know, looking back. And the reason I say that is because you would think by now I would be the type of guy who could choose my roles. But guess what? I set myself so far back 
and I pull myself behind the eight ball, uh, behind the uh, the cue ball, so, the eight ball, whatever it's called. I yes. set myself so far back that that now I'm just a guy who will take the dregs. I will take anything to get a SAG check to make SAG money so that I get SAG insurance at the end of the year. I mm. totally screwed myself by going out on the road with WWE to spend time with wrestlers and to see the world. I was going to see the world anyway. Guess what? You know? Mm. So so there's two answers in one for you. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of the WWE, for people uh, who may not know you, you were the director of security for many years. Uh, with that being said, I think you're more than qualified to answer these next few questions than anyone. Uh, well, today uh, the news broke that Larry Zbysko would be inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. Uh, what are your thoughts on the WWE Hall of Fame in this year's class? Uh, I have no problem with Mr. Zbysko. I don't know him. I do know when I first started wrestling, uh, first started watching wrestling in the early '80s, he was a, a a prominent heel. I think he paid his dues. I think he worked the territories. I think he got. I think he he got where he got the hard way, and I think for that he deserves it. Rikishi in the Hall of Fame is that one of the guys who's getting in this year? Yep. Yeah. Okay. So. So if Rikishi is in the Hall of Fame, a guy who, who who barely got on the show every Monday and Tuesday night, you better realize when Rikishi was there, never mind, let's say just while I was there, okay? While I was there, you had Steve and Rock, and you had Hulk, and then you had NWO come back. Then you had the Hardys, and then you had Edge, and you had all the luchadors, or what do you call it, the uh, the middleweights, or what, what were they called at the time? Cruiserweights, right? Yep. Then you got Angle and Taker and Batista coming uh, coming up with Cena and Orton and and Shelton Benjamin and and, and Edge and Chris Jericho and Brock and 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 uh, Billy Goldberg coming in. So you don't even have, and and never mind Eddie and Benoit. Come on, you don't even have a spot for Rikishi on the show that night. Get it? Yeah. You don't even have a spot for Rikishi on the show. Yet Rikishi's going into the Hall of Fame? Are you kidding me? For what? A gimmick? Yeah. Or some kind of weird familial history? Now, I'm going to get some heat for this. Rocky's going to hate me forever. Reigns will hate me forever. The, The whole Hawaiian, you know... Eki, I think Eki had more of a or more potential to be a Hall of Famer than Rikishi. What, what yeah. was Eki's gimmick? Um, <laughs> Eki's gimmick. Three minute warning. And what was the other yep. thing? Yeah, Umaga. 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 I mean, I think he. I think he was a better wrestler. I mean, you're in there for a gimmick. I get it. But come on, what Chuck and Billy are next? <laughs> are, are Chuck I, and I, Billy I, next for the Hall of Fame? Are, are, are the hot, are the heartthrobs next for the Hall of Fame? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. this is this is just getting ridiculous. I'm sorry, I I I don't get it. You know, the the, the celebrity thing I get because WWE at the end of the day has to sell tickets and they have to put the Drew Carries and the Mike Tyson's because there's a crossover appeal. But true Hall of Fame work? Are you guys telling me that Rikishi? Let me ask you a question: Does Rikishi belong in the Hall of Fame? I I do not think so. No. Steve, you? Nope, not at all. <laughs> of course. You know, I mean, that's, that's the answer. Will Rey Mysterio be a Hall of Famer someday? Absolutely. 
Rey Mysterio revolutionized what 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 the smaller guys did. That's that's a call in five, six, seven years, maybe sooner than that. I and mean, maybe you agree, maybe you don't. But Rikishi, sorry guys, eh, wrong answer. <laughs> Well, now we're going to I guess we're going to get into some controversy here. I, I didn't know if this was going to happen or not, but I have to ask you about it. Um 2014 and 15 has been filled with controversy in the world of wrestling. Uh CM Punk made an abrupt departure and now we're getting this investigation and uh resignation of head trainer Bill DeMott. Um it feels like the world of wrestling has been more exposed than ever. Do you have any thoughts about the Bill DeMott situation? I met Bill DeMott in 2000. I met him at the restaurant, WWF New York. And Bill DeMott was one of the first guys to greet me on the road in Texas. One of my first, my first four shows were in Texas in the late 99, early 2000, somewhere around there. I can't remember because I spent, I spent a lot of time at WWF New York before going on the road. So we got to know the talent that way. Bill DeMott was always a gentleman. He was very likable. He went out of his way. Now, I don't know if it was his girlfriend or his wife, and I'm not being funny. I just can't remember if he was married at the time or a girlfriend, but he had a, he had a, he had a, a beautiful woman, woman with him who was uh, obvious his, his significant other. And he introduced me to her uh, in Texas. He was a gentleman. He was one of the nicest guys. Then we did a show in Yuma, Arizona, about a week or two later, and we had a lot of fun. I never had any beef with uh, with Bill. Um, do I believe? Uh, do I believe all the things that he's been accused of? I absolutely do. I absolutely do. But I say that with I don't think. I think it would have been anybody who was in his spot. I don't necessarily think it's Bill being an ugly man or a bad guy, but I would say in general, there is a culture of bullying in WWE in general. WWE is, is, is a bunch is, is, is a real bullying type of place. Um, uh, some guys that you wouldn't expect, listen, I'm never going to ever say anything bad about Vince McMahon. Mm -hmm. Um, Vince McMahon, I got to see the world on Vince McMahon's dime. I got to eat a lot of steak on Vince McMahon's (laughs) dime. I got to live in a big house on Vince McMahon's dime. I'm not going to say anything bad to him. I will say that one night in the back of a limo, for some weird reason, coming back from uh, 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 Safeco Field the night before WrestleMania, I don't know, WrestleMania 18, what what it was, Coming 19. back from Safeco Cofield, that he that he almost tried to almost tried to intimidate me, and and he was just like, staring at me with this weird thing while he ate a protein bar because he went over his match with Hogan that night, and I knew it was going to be an epic match, but it was just this weird moment we had, and I knew what Vince was trying to do. I am a man. I am a fighter. I've been a fighter all my life. Okay, I was getting in bar balls when I was fifteen years old. I know when another man is trying to intimidate me, and, and Vince, for some reason, in that weird moment, I felt like tried to intimidate me. There's a bigger picture here, though. WWE is full of bullies. JBL, as much as I love him, is a bully. Booker T is one of the biggest bullies in WWE history. Then you got the guys, the obvious ones. You got, you know, you got Bob. Uh, what he did to Capitelli that day, uh, Bully Bob, or what, what the hell's his name? 
Bob. Um, Hardcore Holly. Hardcore Holly. <laughs> what he did to Capitelli that day on Tough Enough, Matt Capitelli, was despicable. It was despicable. It was embarrassing to be a man to watch that that day. Taking on a young kid who's who's nervous and on TV, and just because you can physically intimidate him and mentally mess with him, you do that. And that's the bigger picture. You know, there's, I got bullied out of WWE by a guy in the office, a guy who was supposedly my boss. I was on the road with WWE. Johnny Laurinaitis and Vincent Steff and Hunter were my bosses. I had no beef with them. I had no problems with them. But because of this guy in the office and because of people like Booker, you know, I got bullied out of the job. Booker knew I was Dave Bautista's guy, and Booker didn't like me. Booker also didn't understand that I was a single guy on the road enjoying the fruits of my singleness on the road. And there was this air that, you know, I was doing all these things wrong and I was giving people information about our hotels and all this crap. Uh, somebody threw an egg, a German, a German in the 400 section. They're using the N-I-G-G-E-R chant. That's how Germans treat blacks no. in uh, in uh, Frankfurt, wherever we were, we were in Frankfurt, we were summoning German, and they're going, and I, they're using one word. And then somebody throws an egg out in the, in the 400 section at about, you know, 100 miles an hour, and it's flying back her head, and Booker cut a promo on his security guy. Booker cut a promo on his security guy who'd been there for eight, nine years, me. In front of in front of thousands of Germans, and then did it again backstage in front of the boys, and then did it again at the hotel later. Why would you do that to your security guy? There's no reason for it. But because I was Dave's guy, and because I was, you know, there was some type of idea that I wasn't doing my job, and Charmel almost got hit by an egg in Germany where they hated Booker and the whole King Booker gimmick. You know, now I'm a bad guy. It's a bullying type. Of, of culture. Mm-hmm. Is Triple H a bully? No. Was Dave a bully? No. It, was Eddie a bully? No. I don't even think Big Show's a bully, and I don't think in his heart, well, Vince is a different kind of character. Cena in his own way, you know, with all his power, you know, is a little bit of a bully. I was never a Cena guy, and Cena was a bit of a bully, you know? So I think the bigger picture is, is whether it was Bill DeMott or somebody else, it was going to happen. That's the culture of WWE. It's Hmm. Now, uh, did you happen to catch uh, Cole Cabana's podcast with CM Punk? Best podcast <laughs> interview I have ever heard across the board. I listened just because, you know, Punk is Punk, and I wanted to hear what he would say. And um, think uh, it, it was it was across the board. It was historic. No, it you, was historic. It was that big. It was you, that good. Do you think uh, Punk was justified in his complaints? Oh, I, I don't. I think Punk was spot on, one hundred percent. I mean, about everything. You know. Now, do I know that? You know, do I know that the big guy was actually a little stiff with him? Well, I wasn't there for it. Would I imagine it? Absolutely. You know. It, you know. Do I know about the cyst on the back? No. Did I see pictures? No. Do I doubt it? No, I don't doubt it. You know, I used to watch. I used to watch Little Doctor Rios. One mm-hmm. probably the best doctor WWE ever had, Doctor Real, Doctor Lewis Real, the best. And I used to clean him. I used to watch him clean the pus out of um, 
out of a hardcore Holly's elbow uh, two, three times a week because he had a staph infection on his elbow. But hardcore Holly, you know, he wasn't going to take any time off. I mean, it's a brutal business, guys. I mean, people don't even get how brutal the business is. I could tell you stories uh, how every guy, every guy that I was with for eight years, nine years, nine years suffered. I could tell you a story. And I could tell you a lot of other stories, too. You know, I always warn, you know, if anybody, any, if there's ever going to be any reprisals from WWE about some of the things I say, I just like to remember them. I know a lot of shit. I know a lot of shit. No, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a threat in any way. But if there's ever any reprisals to me, I know everything about everybody. And I think they forget that, that I was on the road all those years with, the, with those guys while those shitheads were sitting in the office. And I mean shitheads like, like the guy who dumped me, some guy named Rich Herring, you know, and who eventually dumped Jimmy Tillis and who eventually dumped Gary Pern and the rest of the security guys, too. He's a bad guy and he's a bully. Now, there's a current campaign uh, called hashtag Give Divas a Chance. Um, this is a reaction to the fans chanting boring during most of the Divas matches. You were there for a different time. Um, you had some really top talent. This is when Lita and Trish were main eventing Raw. Um, what do you think about the current crop of Divas in the WWE? Well, I think that girl with the uh, the long red hair, the fire engine red hair. Yeah, Eva what's Marie. What's her name? She is Eve. magnificent. Yes. Oh, my God. I, I would chop off my right leg to spend the night with her. <laughs> um, what do I think? I, I think it's a different time. Uh, I think it's a different time. I, I mean, you know, the Bella girls, you know, they're cool. Um, they're on TV. They're making, you know, they're making major money. I mean, they're making a lot more money doing the diva show than they are at WWE. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's no doubt about that. I know what Melina was making when she was the champ at WWE. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but yeah, I was there for Tori Keebler and Ivory, uh, the end of China, Lita, Trish, I mean, I was there for some, some god-awfully hot, bodacious, wonderful women. And then they went into the diva search. Hello? And then they went into tough enough. So we got, a, we, we got women. At one time, it was so brutal to walk backstage at WWE in the middle 2000s because the sexual energy was so incredible. Not only did we have hot chicks from WWE offices working backstage, but we had we had the, the tough enough girls and the girls who were tying out. Then they had the diva search, and then we had our girls. It made it awfully difficult to work at WWE in those years, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, so anyway, your you, your question is, you know, what do I think? I think they're fine. I, you know, I don't know Paige. I don't know AJ. Um, I, I don't know, you know, those other, you know, the twins. Um, I'm happy they're making money. They're in a tough business. Anybody who gets to the top of that business. And anybody who's thriving and anybody who's making money, God bless them, because they've achieved something that, that's next to impossible. You know, it's probably easier to hit the lottery or get struck by lightning than it is to become a, a, uh, a, an over-WWE diva. Sure. <laughs> now, uh, Jimmy, uh, who are some of your favorite in the business right now? And uh, who are some people you look at and just wonder, why are they even there? 
<laughs> I've never understood the whole Daniel Bryan thing. Yeah. I've, I've never understood that. that. That being said, I think he's a nice kid. But I, I never got... you you got to realize that when I was there, Brian and Austin Aries and Colt Cabana and uh, Shane, uh, uh, the other guy who came over at the same time but didn't make it at WWE came over, over with Brian Danielson. Nigel, Nigel McGillicuddy or something? Yep. Nigel McGinnis. Nigel McGinnis. You know, these guys were all guys who WWE locked in, uh, locked in the laundry closets uh, to do dark matches when we were in their towns. Mm-hmm. You know, they got no respect. The guys, you know, bullied them even more. And they were doing dark matches and squash matches. And now it's 10 years later, and they're all the top guys at WWE. To me, it's, to me, it's shocking. You know, so, so look at it this way. I talked about the guys who, let, let's look at 2002, okay? Rock, Stone Cold, Rocky, Angle, Edge, uh, uh, Dave, Cena, all these guys. Where would Daniel, Daniel Bryan wouldn't have been even able, uh, Eddie, Eddie and, Eddie and Ray and, and Benoit, they wouldn't have been able, able to get a dark match. <laughs> you, you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Like, if it was if it was back then, Daniel Bryan wouldn't have been able to get a, a dark match in, in 2002, 2003, 2004, 2005. And then it rises to the top. It kind of tells you a little about the business. I know I'm crapping on him a little bit, but he's a very average size, a very, very average charisma, and they talk about great technical record wrestlers. You know, I was there when Kurt Angle, Eddie Guerrero, and Chris Benoit were there, man, and Brock and, and everybody else. Does it get any more technical than that? Yeah. You know, you know, he's a great technical wrestler. I, I don't know. I, I, I just don't get it sometimes. I just don't get it. Punk, on the other hand, is a different beast. Punk would have made it in the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the 2000 and 2010. Punk was an anomaly. Punk came along, and Punk's just got something that people like. You know, Punk, Punk was going to make it anyway. Um, as, you know, as far as everybody else, you know, Reigns has a good look. I don't, I don't watch. I, I mostly catch snippets on the Internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, Reigns has got a good look. You know, what happened to Ryback? Didn't I just be a wrestler at WWE called Ryback? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, God almighty, they have so much into him. And, and you know, like, I don't know, is he getting hurt? I don't really even know what the hell is going on with Ryback. But, I mean, great, you know, great muscular presence. In Sheffield, I think, is that his name? He came up yep. with the Tough Enough. He came up with Pewter. Yeah. And Tough Enough. That's a long time ago to make, you know, to still be in this business and to still be, you know, uh, have his physical prowess. Um, some of these other guys, I don't know who Seth Rollins is. He looks good. Ambrose, I kind of, I kind of like. You know, he's got that weird look. You know, none of these guys are huge, um, and I'm most, you know, I'm used to the more bigger, more muscular wrestlers. Uh, you know, you you think of Big Show and you think of Triple H and you know Mark Henry and Dave and 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 guys like that. Even Cena, I mean, Cena to Cena, Cena's one big block of muscle. And now these guys, there's very few of them. You know, Roman is a big guy. You know, and the other guys are muscular, but they're not those. They're not those size guys that Vince loves. You know, it's not those typical size size guys. 
But um, but God bless them. You know, they it's you know I, I don't follow it to tell you the truth. I mean, I'm interested now that now that Mania is coming up. I don't mm-hmm. get that. I don't get that Sting is in a, in one of the main events. I mean, I don't. You know, uh, I never really got the whole Sting thing. I'm not saying he's not a giant in the business. He's just not a giant in the WWF WWE business. Yes. He's a WCW guy and. Uh, you know, before that, he was with the Open the Warrior in in the territories. So I never I never really got that. But but you know, listen, if it, if it, if it's a, if it's for if the end result is that Paul Levesque has a great match with him, then I'm all for it because I, I've always liked Paul, and Paul is very good to me, and I think he's one of the, one of the greatest of all time. Hey, now, um, you kind of mentioned a, a gentleman, CM Punk. We talked about him a little bit earlier. Um, what do you think his chances are getting into MMA? I know that you are uh, you, you watch MMA and you uh, know quite a bit about it. So what are your, how do you think he's going to fare? Well, he's a naturally tough kid. He's got, he's, so he's got, a lot, he's got a lot of favoring, things favoring him. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a tough kid. Anybody who gets in a WW ring is a tough kid, is a tough guy. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I could tell you all kinds of stories about why that's 100% true. Um, he's been, he's been through it. Uh, he's been through the training. He's been, uh, not through W, uh, I'm sorry, MMA, but he's been through WW. He's been through the training process. He's achieved a certain amount. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got a bit of, I, I believe, I don't know him that well. I was there when he was there, but I don't know him that well. I believe he's got a bit of a chip on his shoulder, which is always a good thing. I think he wants to prove a lot of people wrong, and I think he's extremely determined. That being said, I think he's in his late thirties now. Uh huh. I think he might be 38. I think it's a little, a little, you know, late to get in the business. Do I think he would be a good fighter? Yeah. Do I think he'll be a great fighter? I can't see it, but it wouldn't surprise me. And I'm, mm-hmm. and I'm, and I'm, it's almost weird that I'm putting him over because I've never been a big fan, but after, after careful consideration and after listening to his interview with Colt, um, I, I like the guy more. I never really disliked him. It's just that some guys you gel with and some guys you don't Cena. I never gelled with. You know, I was there for years. I watched him come up. I was there long before him. He was never particularly respectful to me, uh, whereas other guys were. And, and maybe CM Punk, I was only with maybe for a year, and he was the low man on the totem pole. But, um, but for the most part, you know, I, 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 think, I think he's a tough kid. So God bless him. Anybody who gets in a cage has the biggest balls on the planet Earth. <laughs> you get in a cage, you're a tough guy. Awesome. Now we we take our jobs here pretty seriously. Um, we did our homework and found out that you are not the only famous Noonan out there. Uh, your sister Peggy, which you mentioned earlier, is also pretty famous. Uh, what can you tell us about your your sister? Well, in right wing politics, when people it, most people wouldn't even know who Peggy Noonan is. But in right-wing politics, especially the Reagan years and the Bush years, and in terms of people who watch, watch, uh, watch politics on TV and how it, how it plays out, my sister is huge. When people find out that Peggy Noonan is my sister, 
they don't want to talk about WWE anymore, and they don't want to talk about Super Troopers anymore, and they definitely don't want to talk about the Martha's Vineyard affair. They All they want to do is put over my sister. Peggy will go down as at least the greatest female speechwriter in history, and probably one of the one of the top ten speechwriters in history. And we are talking about speechwriters by the name of Abraham Lincoln and Ted Sorensen, who wrote the uh, who wrote the Teddy uh, not Teddy Roosevelt the John F. Teddy speech. Mm-hmm. Uh, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Peggy Noonan wrote the famous Boys of Point Du Hawk speech, uh, the 40th invasion of Normandy speech for for Ronald Reagan. She wrote um, the Challenger speech for Reagan and quoted the words, brought brought the words to the forefront. They left the surly bonds of earth to touch the face of God. And she also wrote the inauguration address for Bush the Sr., a thousand points of light, a kinder, gentler nation. Read my lips. My sister Peggy is responsible for those words. So you could see that she's big. Um, and in right wing politics, it doesn't get any bigger. Uh, she is my sister. She's a wonderful lady. We've had a rough relationship over the years because we're a big Irish family. I have six sisters and she is one of them. Um, but it doesn't matter. She's a, she's a wonderful and talented woman. And, um, and we actually sold my first movie. I came back from Los Angeles in 1990 and, um, I told Peggy a story over the next week. We wrote the movie and we sold it to Warner brothers one week later. Uh, it was Uh called a Jersey, uh, either a Jersey story or a Jersey Christmas. I think we changed it to a Jersey Christmas and it's been sitting on a shelf for 25 years. (laughs) <laughs> which is what happens to movies sometimes, but she's an amazingly, amazingly talented woman. And thank you for asking about her. And most people wouldn't put us together. As a matter of fact, one day in the, in the New York post, there was a story about me and her and they called me Peggy Noonan's little brother. <laughs> and of course I'm six two two sixty five, and Peggy's about five foot six and a half. <laughs> so it was kind of funny that everybody called me Peggy Noonan's little brother. <laughs> All right, so, uh, Jimmy, uh, what does the future hold for Jimmy Noonan? Uh, dude, kick ass, take names. Um, 2015 started off with a blast. Um, life, you know, I've done, I've exceeded all expectations. I, I should have been dead 30 years ago, you know, uh, 20, May, May, May 6th, 1987. Um, uh, this may will be my 28th year of continuous spiritual sobriety. Um, so I should have been dead 30 years ago. So that the fact that I've made it to 57 and, and have excelled at everything I've done, I've been, I've been, and, and am an actor. Um, I am a proud member, 25 years of the screen actors guild. I'm a decent father to Jim and Cecily, my almost 35 for almost 30, God, 34, 34 year old son and my 10 year old daughter in Detroit. By the way, my 10 year old daughter is the best thing that happened to me at WWE. Most things that happened to me turn in, in retrospect, you know, kind of suck, but I got a 10 year old daughter out of the deal on the road. I met somebody and we had a baby together. Um, I, you know, I, I, I have excelled at the security business. I've excelled at sobriety and helping other people get sober. Um, I'm becoming quite the writer. 
uh, and I hate to put myself over. It's just a fact. If I don't put myself over, who's going to put me over, right? <laughs> we, so, will. Um, we will. <laughs> I think 2015 and beyond, as successful, and I think by all definitions of the word successful, I have been successful in life, but I think my true success lies in my future. And that's the exciting part. Uh, that's the reason, you know, I get out of bed every day. And the first thing I do every day when I get out of bed is I thank my God for another beautiful night and another beautiful morning. And I just ask him, you know, to put me in the right direction and, and just to be kind to somebody, you know, just to be kind to one other human being today. I don't be kind to everybody, although I try, but just to be try, be extra kind to one extra human every day. And, um, and life is very, very exciting for this old fat 57 year old man. I'm really, really, really excited. Lightning round. Which is harder security or acting? Oh, acting by far, acting by far. All right. Uh, Vince McMahon. Uh, you know what? The first thing that came, the first thing that I felt in my chest, believe it or not, and I have no idea why, was like father, mm-hmm. and I have no idea why. But okay. I think that's, but I think that, but that's what, that's being honest, like just like a father, almost like a father. Sure. Okay. Um, best part about working for WWE. The the perks. Um, the perks as it pertains to seeing the world in first class, literally, you know, the traveling, the traveling perks. That was the best thing about WWE. All right. Uh, who's your favorite actor? Uh, I would have to say, uh, either the, the top three, uh, are Nicholson, Pacino and Dustin Hoffman. Okay. Um, I know you talk about it a lot, but and people are probably wanting to know like something ridiculous that happened or whatever. But do you have a funniest security story? Funniest security story? Well, it's not, it's been done before, but I think when the uh, the Undertaker in Bangor, Maine, or Lewiston, Mass, some weird place up there, I think when he hit the ring one night, and it wasn't the Undertaker, it was a kid maybe about 20 years old. He was very tall and very skinny. And I'm talking about with the hat and the overcoat and the urn. And he hits the ring one night and I clobbered him. Oh my God. I took him off the, I took him off the ring post from the floor. I fucked this kid up. And it turns out he plays like the undertaker in his local school play. And he's like autistic or something like that. And it's not particularly funny, but, but it really is because you just never know, you know, when somebody means, you know, I take my job very seriously. And when I was at WWE, there were never, ever any problems. When Jimmy Tillis and I ran a show, and it was just me at one show, me at Raw, and Tillis at SmackDown, or vice versa, there were never any problems. We were good, and we took our jobs. I would have walked to the end of the earth on broken glass for that company. I would have done anything for that company. And we made the tightest, best shows, but you know, nobody ever hit the ring. 
but you didn't when you when you know they didn't necessarily mean bad will when they did hit the ring. And I clobbered this poor kid one night, and it turns out he was like you know developmentally challenged oh. or something. And I actually felt bad because I clobbered this kid. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, what's the worst part about working security? Uh, there's a saying in security that a ship runs downhill and it stops at security. Okay. Um, shit what? runs downhill and it stops at security. That's the answer right there. Okay. <laughs> um, now, over the years, you've seen WWE kind of go from when you were there, it was more gritty, real, raw. Um, what are your thoughts on WWE in this era, PG era? Uh, double WWE, I think you can, I think you can find more, it doesn't necessarily have to be as over as, as over the top as, as the late nineties, the attitude era, but it also doesn't have to be today. I think it can be more the early two thousands when guys were still gigging and there was still, you know, the suck it chance. And there was, it, it was, it was somewhere in the middle of the Attitude Era and where it is now. I think that's what works best. And I think that's, that's, that's what's best for business. Um, because, because the guys are going to still take their kids to the show. They may not take their daughters, but they'll definitely take their little sons to the show. And they're going to take all their friends to the show to see John Cena and to buy hundreds of thousands and millions and trillions of dollars of John Cena's merchandise. They're still going to do it, you know, without this PG stuff. That's where I'm with Dave Batista on that, you know, that I disagree with the PG. I think the early 2000s was just fine when there was still blood, you know? And it was was sometimes real, you know, when you were Ken Kennedy and you were getting opened up the hard way or... Or you're, you know, Eddie and, you know, gigging too deep and hitting an artery. I mean, that's that's some exciting stuff. Blood, blood can be extremely effective sometimes. And I think that only enhances the story. Jimmy, uh, I think we barely scratched the surface with you tonight. But, I mean, we loved having you on. Where can uh, fans, Where can fans keep up with you these days if they want to follow you? Um, you know, I think I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm doing more Twitter these days. I mean, I've always been on Facebook, but I'm doing more Twitter. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just Jimmy, you know, J-I-M-M-Y-N-O-O-N-A-M at Twitter. Um, there's going to be some things to come and, you know, and I will let you know. Um, I will tell you guys that I do a lot less of this stuff these days. I get offered all the time. Um, to do podcasts, but um, I do remember um, I do remember this uh, this slim redhead <laughs> inside for a lot of years, and um, and I just I remember you as being a good kid, Jonathan, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I just remember you being a good kid, and when you contacted me, I kind of knew your name. Um, again, I don't do this much. I'm pretty much done with WWE. Um, and after I said a couple of things tonight, I'm going to be totally done with WWE, <laughs> um, just in case you know, just in case anybody picks this up, um, and then you know, read some of the things what I said about bullies and and and, and a couple other things, and calling Rich Herring, you know, the guy in the office, an asshole, which he's a total asshole because um, he's like Vince's main guy up there. Um, but I, you know, I don't care. I, I don't, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be alive five more years or thirty more years. And guess what? You know, it, 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 my time was due to finally say something, but I would only do it in the right milieu. 
and um, and I kind of chose you guys. You know, I mean, we chose each other, but I say no to a lot of people these days. But I just felt like saying okay to you guys. So well, in some senses, this is my au revoir to the wrestling business. I just don't care anymore. I don't care. Um, I look back at it as not a fun time in my life. It was miserable, and um, uh, and I made a huge mistake going on the road with WWE. So, so God bless them. I wish them all well, and um, and they can all kiss my ass. <laughs> well, we thank you so much. Um, you know, like you said, you've got a lot of things coming up. So everybody, go out there and just support this gentleman. He is a class act. Uh, always a nice guy to me, and uh, we once again, we just want to thank you for coming on tonight. Beautiful. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Take care of yourself. All right. Uh, thanks again to Jimmy Noonan, a uh, great guy. Uh, Jonathan, I mean, he's got to see a lot of things that we've never probably thought we would ever see uh, as a wrestling fan, uh, but, I mean, being security backstage to go – take trips across the world uh what an experience for him and i wish him nothing but the best in his in his acting career so hopefully we'll see him on something else uh, real soon so stay tuned guys yeah now speaking of backstage politics i think that one of these is probably going to be the for for me it's the biggest time that i actually saw it unfold this is where the curtain was kind of pulled back a little bit because it was happening in real life so i am speaking about when the whole Matt Hardy, Lita, Edge situation came about. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, real brief backstory, Edge was friends with Matt Hardy, and Matt Hardy was dating Lita at the time. Matt Hardy gets injured. Lita and Edge start hanging out together. Next thing you know, they're kind of dating. Matt Hardy finds out about it and is betrayed by both parties. Then... You know, he has to still work with them, and I think that he took it a little too personal. Well, maybe, I don't know, I'm not in that situation. Uh, he started to talk about them publicly, and then he ended up being, you know, fired from WWE. So that, for me, was a huge thing to see. I didn't realize that, you know, those things kind of happened, I guess, because I was never shown that out there in the open. Um, do you remember anything about this? Yeah, I remember it, and I remember saying, how the hell could these guys do that? I mean, granted, I mean, real life into pro wrestling is great, great storytelling, but I mean, I, like, okay, you know what I mean? <laughs> You're working with a guy who stole your girlfriend. Um, how do you be neutral on any of this? You know what I mean? Like, how can you be cool with it? How can you, you know, I, I, I don't get it, you know, because like, even in the ring, you know, like, I granted you have to be professional, yada, yada, yada. But, okay, it's one thing if you don't like the guy and you're wrestling him in the ring, you're still going to be respectful. It's both your jobs, you know what I mean? But at the same time, this guy screwed you over, and now you're trying to put on this story that's true to life, and you're trying to wrestle him, but how you... You know what I mean? Like, I, I couldn't even com- comprehend how these guys could keep it, you know, professional in the ring after all that that has happened and granted maybe 80% of the audience had no idea. They just thought it was part of the story, but the smarter marks out there knew it. And uh, even me just watching it. I don't know. What did you think? Just watching this because it's one of those things that, you know, granted it's a great story to tell at the same time being real and actually having to work with the guy that did it is another thing for me. So I don't know. 
Yeah, you know, it was very hard to watch, I'll be honest. It was one of those things where I saw it and I just couldn't believe it was happening and I thought I just felt bad for everybody involved. And obviously Edge and Lita's careers kind of skyrocketed from this point and Matt Hardy, he continued with the company and did things and stuff, but like that for for me like just to have to still be involved with all of that and I know that like they say that professional wrestling you use your your you know you use your personality just turn up the knob a little bit but I think that was just a little too much for for all of them and uh, I'm glad I think they're all kind of you know cordial to each other now and and stuff but uh I just I wish that it would have happened you know behind closed doors maybe yeah um it's just one of those things, but guys, let us know what you th- what you think about this. Uh, we want to hear from you. We want to want you guys to Facebook us, tweet us. We've just broke the ten thousand follower mark on Twitter. Thanks for all the fans out there listening. Uh, let us know. Tweet us when you hear us talking about these topics on the show because we want to get your input too, guys. So at a wrestling pod, facebook.com slash another wrestling podcast. Uh, let us know. Tweet us, Facebook us, talk to us. We want to get interactive with you, and we want you to interact with us. So uh, please, please let us know your take on it. And Jonathan, I think we're almost—I think we're pretty much done, right? We can just skip ahead to the end, right? Uh, uh, no, it's no, there's done. I guess you know. Mm, just... No, no, there's a there's one uh, time when there was a little. Let me. Are you are you sitting down? This is kind of like a a little fairy tale, maybe. I there was a, a little. Uh, stringy-haired prince, we'll say, who um, was a wrestling champion, and he was a little upset because a newer, cooler, hipper prince was was in town and uh, was was supposed to become the champion. Um, He worked it out with him, though. He worked it out with him. Oh, my God. This is ridiculous. I'm talking about the Montreal Screwjob. Probably the biggest backstage coup in the history of the business. Um, it's garnered so much attention that you know you can't talk to anybody who's a wrestling fan without at least bringing it up once. We bring it up all the time here because I love uh, rubbing it in Steve's face. But um, what? Wh- how old were you when this happened, Steve? Oh, geez, uh, I-, I was in my teens. I mean. 15, 16, I don't know, around there. I wasn't, no, early teens probably. I forget, I have to do the math, but regardless. Uh, I think what was, well, not cool about the whole situation, but I didn't really learn about that whole situation until I saw uh, the Hitman Heart Wrestling with Shadows video. Do you remember that? That was probably one of the coolest videos that came out at that time for being a smart wrestling fan. Um, you got to see everything going on backstage at the time. I think right there, that video alone made, you know, the top five of wrestling, you know, memorabilia videos at that time to own. Uh, what did you think? Because, I mean, just seeing this backstage stuff happen to where Vince walks backstage, he walks out, you know, the guys holding him where, where Bret Hart knocked him out. You got to see, like, the whole build-up to it, and which you rarely ever saw ever in uh, anything going on back in the day. And just to see that, was it was totally pulling that curtain wide open. And it was, I think, honestly, it was the first time I got a big glance into the wrestling world uh, of backstage uh, and the backstage politics aspect. What did you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I was watching it, and I didn't understand it really. I knew a little bit. I was starting to become the the wrestling fan that I would be for the rest of my life. But, you know, it was just everybody was just so, so – you could just see that it was a real emotion there. It was yeah. all 
so out there and whether it was supposed to be or not and then you know the, the coming weeks where you know Vince came out and said you know Vince didn't screw Brett Brett screwed Brett like all of those things happened and it changed the business completely and I, I just think that for wrestling and politics that we're talking about uh Shawn Michaels seems to be involved in a lot of these so I don't know if it's <laughs> if it's if it's just Sean or, or, or what it is, but I, I definitely think that all of these things, if if they had not have happened, we may not have seen uh, Shawn Michaels' Hall of Fame career or whatever. But um, I, I think that it was – it's hard to just dismiss it and say it was terrible or whatever because it kind of started the Attitude Era, if you will. So I'm pretty happy with – with that and you know i am because i like making fun of you so <laughs> and now i mean i would love to get the director paul jay on the show too to talk to him about this video um i think because it was honestly one of the first times you got to see anything dealing with this backstage politics you know what i mean so it, it's it shed a light on a lot of things that people didn't know about because it literally released almost like one year after the incident so people for a year Still had no idea about some of the stuff going on unless they heard it from he or she saying it in the halls or whatnot. So it, it, I think that Paul J landed on the gold mine when that incident happened because at one point you're filming just, you know, his life and what's happening in the business to all of a sudden this big, you know, monumental event happening and you capture it all on tape backstage to where, you know, you struck the gold mine with that one. So it would be interesting to hear about his point of view and what, what about that. Um, but Jonathan, all in all today, I mean, Backstage politics, uh, we talked about it. I know we missed a lot of stuff. We always miss a lot of stuff because we've got to save room for next time. Uh, but, guys, like I said, let us know what you thought about today on some of the backstage politics that we talked about. Um, I, I, what else would you want to talk about on backstage politics, Jonathan? I think we summed up a lot of things today. We did. You know, I I just think that there's so many more out there that we could talk about. But if you're a fan listening – uh, Steve already mentioned our Twitter handle and all that stuff, but let us know what you think we should talk about. Maybe we'll revisit this. We'll have backstage politics part two. Um, you know, there's there's the sequel. That's what we'll call it. <laughs> That's right, guys. Uh, and you know, we could talk about this stuff for two hours, but we all have ADD and we don't have that much time in our lives anymore. So we try to make these shows not short but sweet, but simple and smooth. Jonathan, simple and smooth for that. Uh, Ear listening pleasure, right? I don't know. I just made that up on the spot. That's pretty good. We could trademark it. Yeah, sure. Um, we got to trademark it before WWE does. That's all. <laughs> well, there you go, guys. Uh, once again, anotherwrestlingpodcast.com. What are you going to do, Jonathan? You're going to like, share, and review. And like, follow, and subscribe, damn it. Hey, you know what? You can share and review as well. I love it. I like just seeing the keywords, but uh, don't poke us, don't nudge us, just like us. Follow us, subscribe, talk about us, uh, and all those things are, are all great, right? You've got it. Uh, big things happening. We say it every time, but we really mean it. We do this for you guys, the fans. You think I like talking to all these wrestlers all the time? Well, maybe I do, but uh, we do this for you guys. Let us know what you think and just keep listening. Today's show is brought to you by ProWrestlingPowerhouse.com. They provide opinions on pro wrestling in articles without oversaturating the net with news and rumors. Pro Wrestling Powerhouse has provided a platform for wrestling fans to write about what they love, pro wrestling. They don't censor people within reason and allow any and all opinions on the site. Check out ProWrestlingPowerhouse.com. 
community calendar. All right, guys, Northeast Wrestling, the future is now in Danbury, Connecticut on April 10th. You will see none other than Alberto El Patron, Matt Hardy, Road Warrior Animal, Mickey James, Matt Taven, Brian Anthony, Michael Bennett, Maria, and so many more. Head on over to northeastwrestling.com. And guys, the next night at Collector's Realm on Saturday, April 11th, you can come down and meet Mickey James and Road Warrior Animal from 11 to 1. He will be in shoulder pads and face paint. So kids, get your cameras ready. Uh, Collectorsrealm.net for more information. That's right, Steve. And if you can't make it to that one, then 417, April the 17th, is just around the corner. Northeast Wrestling will be holding their annual Spring Slam. It'll be in Newburgh, New York. And John Hennigan, formerly known as John Morrison, Harlem Heat, ladies and gentlemen, Alberto El Patron, Maria, Michael Bennett, Eddie Edwards, Matt Taven, Brian Anthony, and so many more are going to be there. It's going to be great. There's already some uh, matches announced, so head on over to northeastwrestling.com to find out more information. Also, for fans of our show, you know that we are involved with FWE Wrestling, and they have some amazing events coming up as well. So join FWE for FWE 20 in Rochester, New York, April 16th, 2015. And if you if that's not enough for you and you want more, then you can go to see both their shows, Battle of Bridgewater Night 1 and Night 2 in Bridgewater, New York, and that will be happening on April 17th, 2015, and April 18th. We want to thank you guys for listening today. Every week we create something for you to listen to and it's absolutely free. We are the Wrestling Fans Podcast because after all, we're fans also. Help us out by subscribing to our show on iTunes. While you're there, you can rate us and give us a good review. If you're looking for more AWP, then head on over to anotherwrestlingpodcast.com to find out more about upcoming guests and where we may pop up. Be sure to like us on Facebook, Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and buy an official AWP shirt from ProWrestlingTees.com. We couldn't do the show without you, so please tune in next week for (sighs) another wrestling podcast. Podcast.